Heritage, I want to welcome you. Uh, those of you who are joining us from our Bettendorf campus, if you're joining us online or you're with us at our Rock Island campus, it is my joy and pleasure to be with you. My name is Beth, and I get to serve as part of the teaching team at Heritage. And so um, I'm excited to get to unpack God's word with you. Um, you know, often for me, an invitation to speak or preach is often an invitation to become a test tube in God's laboratory of life. And so I want to assure you that the message that we're going to share in today is one that I've had to preach to myself over and over and over again over the last few weeks. We've been in a journey this summer learning from Paul's love letter to the church at Philippi. This church was the first church plant in Macedonia. If you're curious about its origins and how it started, you can read more about it in Acts 16. But I just want to kind of give you a little synopsis to frame our time together. Paul and Silas and Timothy were in Asia. They believed that God had sent them to Asia and they got there prepared to share the gospel and they realized that the Holy Spirit was forbidding them to actually speak the message. So they're kind of wandering around going, okay, God, what is going on here? And what happens is a vision appears to Paul as he's, as he's praying and he's asking the Lord. And this is a vision of a man from Macedonia. And the man is saying, come over to us and share the gospel with us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy immediately get in a boat. They travel over to Macedonia. They go to the city of Philippi. And when they get there... They hear about this group of women who have been gathering outside the gate of the city and they've been gathering to pray. And so they walk down and they go down to check it out and they, they meet Lydia. Lydia is kind of the leader of this group of women, women. Now, Lydia was a worshiper of God, but she did not have a relationship with Jesus yet. She didn't understand the Messiah. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy unpack the gospel message there. Lydia is converted. She gets baptized. The women who are there go through the same process. And these women will become very important in the foundation of the church of Philippi. All right. So let's put a hook in that. We're going to come back to it. And let's look now at Philippians 3, 19b and 20. This is kind of where Sean ended his message last week. And I want to pick it up there as we, as we sort of frame our time together. You can follow along in your Bible, which I encourage you to do. Click on your device. We're going to be in Philippians for most of our time together. Their mind is set on earthly things. All right, so Paul is talking here. The verses before this are about people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so he's saying people who are not Christ followers, they're not interested in the message of the gospel. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this citizenship in heaven, I want you to think about this as though this were our lens on life. We as Christ followers, we have to decide what our posture in life is going to be. And we can look at this world as though this is all there is, as though how much money is in your bank account and what job you have and the worries and cares of this world are all there is, or... We can put on the lens as citizens of heaven and understand that God has so much more for us. That this world that we live in is temporary. It's fleeting. We are literally just passing through on the way to our eternal destination. 
The, God's goal in this is for it to be freeing for us here, that we don't have to get bogged down by the cares and the worries of this world. Our citizenship in heaven can change everything. It can give us the opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ, to lose the things of this world, to gain him. Joy that's mentioned 16 times in the book of Philippians is actually possible no matter the circumstances and the peace of God is tangible in our here and now. Doesn't this sound good? It does. But here's the catch. Where we belong determines how we live. And so often as Christ followers, what happens is we start to let our mind get set on earthly things and we begin to belong here more than what our hearts were actually created for. Our hearts were created for heaven, for relationship with God, unfettered. But we know we live in a, in a world that is marked by sin and brokenness and it is messed up and it's confusing and complex. But as citizens of heaven, we can look at what's happening and we can just choose to have a different perspective on that. Where we belong determines how we will live. This is your first fill-in if you're following along in your note guide. All right, now we're going to jump into our passage for the day. It's Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 2. I plead with you, Adia, and I plead with Sintuki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, I want to reference a quote that Sean said last week, and so I was talking to him about that, and so I said, okay, this is the thing, and he said, well, that's not what I said. And I said, I, I came twice. I'm pretty sure that's what you said, and I showed him my notes, and he said, that's not what I said exactly, and so I'm quoting, not quoting Sean here, and so I'm going to give you the gist of what I heard him say last week, because I think it's really important for us. The church it's not about gathering in one place at one time to listen to one person. The church is for all of us everywhere, every day, because we are the church and we don't go to church. I think this is a citizen of heaven moment for us. That, that sometimes in our earthly confines, we've looked at the church in our four walls in a way that we can define it and see it and contain it. And if we would take our citizen of heaven lenses, we would see that the church is actually much bigger than that. Here is what I know to be true, my friends. It will take all of us working together to advance the gospel. It's going to take all of us. These women that Paul is talking about in this passage, they were, many scholars believe that they were likely women who were in that initial group. And so these women were praying, um, they were worshipers of God, they became followers of Christ, they were co-laborers with Paul in planting the church. Now Paul often gets a bad rep for his um, words about women. And those were specific to specific churches and things that were happening. But what Paul is talking about here and what is being modeled in the church of Philippi is the blessed alliance that happens when men and women work together as co-laborers to advance the gospel. These verses are a big deal because the church should be the space of we, not us versus them 
but the space of we, the space where men and women live on mission together, where reconciliation is modeled, reconciliation between black and white and brown and black with families between men and women, where the stranger, a refugee, finds refuge, where believers have everything in common and the walls between poor and rich begin to dissolve. Our ability to live in unity with each other and consider others better than ourselves is part of what points people to the power of the gospel. My friends, what if the church modeled radical unity to a world that is incredibly divided? The second thing that I want us to really pull out of this passage is that the gospel being shared is the calling of all of us within the body of Christ. It is so easy for us to buy into the myth that the sharing of the gospel is the job of the pastors. We, look to your neighbor, we, say we, are the ministers of the gospel. I didn't hear you. We're going to do it again. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, we are the ministers of the gospel. All right. You guys are preaching now. We get to be co-laborers in bringing Jesus into the spaces where we live, work, eat, play, shop, travel. You get what I'm saying? This is not a call about when you gather here. The church needs to be unleashed into the world to be the ambassadors of reconciliation. Our world is crying out for it. And we have got to live into being the bride of Christ. All right, we're going to go back into our passage, Philippians 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 4. Joy, I mentioned 16 times Paul talks about it, and he does it again here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God. which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The struggle with worry is real. How many of you right now have something that is pressing in on you and you feel anxious thoughts, you feel that cloud of worry, you're struggling right now? Let me see your hands. Bettendorf, you can get in on this too. All right. The rest of you are lying <laughs> or you've experienced some sort of victory and you need to be up here sharing with us uh, your journey. No. Look, it's clear from the scripture that we're not supposed to worry and it's clear from a lot of other scriptures. Jesus talks about it. Paul's saying, look, be anxious for nothing. Or here's another way to say it. Don't worry about anything. But that seems impossible. Often the harder we try to obey the scripture, like we want to do this. We want to not worry. But the harder that we try not to, often the harder it becomes to not worry. It's like we're worrying about not worrying about worrying and the thing that we're actually worrying about. Like it's just this like vicious cycle that we get into. 
And I think we have to ask ourselves this question, where is that worry coming from or why am I worried about that? Overcoming worry starts by asking why, because here's the thing with worry. Worry is really just the tip of the iceberg. It is, it is a symptom of something else that is going on. But a lot of times we feel the worry and we feel like it is our J-O-B to worry about that thing and we're actually doing something about that thing by worrying about it. And, and the lie is, that we buy into is that we feel productive in our worrying because we're engaging with that thing. Everybody tracking me on that? I see heads, yeah, you guys are like, yep, I've been there. Worry asks a what if from a negative posture. And so we go down this what if scenario. What if this? Well, then what if this? Then what if that? And we just start playing these things out in our mind. But here is the truth. Worry is really connected to fear. And so when we ask the, the, the why question, why am I worried about that? It usually goes back to we're afraid about something. We've got a fear. Now, the best way that I can think to talk about this is a, is a seesaw kind of an illustration. And so if you look at worry as a feeling and as a symptom and as a byproduct um, and, it, and understand that it's connected to fear, and joy is, is something that we can experience as well, but it's more like a feeling. Now, it's not like, I'm so happy about that and a feeling like that because happiness is fleeting and often circumstantial. The joy that we're talking about is that like deep, that contentment, that understanding that um, you, you can have a posture of confidence in Jesus. So it's like confidence and contentment. It's this, it's this really great feeling that doesn't have any explanation for it because based on what you're facing, you probably shouldn't be feeling that. But joy is actually, it's anchored in peace. Okay, so if this, if every situation that we encounter, we start here and we decide how we're going to interact with it. Are we going to choose worry? And when we choose worry, the weight of that worry pushes us down, man. It just, it just, meshes us in with fear really tightly. Or if we don't choose worry and we choose joy, we find that we're actually anchored in peace. This passage talks about the peace of God and the God of peace. And joy anchored in peace is the secret to dealing with worry. Now, if there's an antidote for all of this, I would say that it is prayer. And conversing with God and talking with him about these things, this is like the secret to all of this. And so prayer is the antidote to fear. So Paul talks about this. He says, with everything, prayer, um, with petition, that's asking, but with gratitude, present all of your requests to God, and then you'll get to peace, and then you'll get to joy. So Sometimes we talk about stuff here and it feels like, yeah, that's good and this is a good scripture to know and I don't want you to walk out of here and go, but I don't know what this looks like in my life. And so I think the best way to get past that is to talk about how this has looked in my own life. Um, when I was in college and was dating, um, there, were, there were probably two uh, professions that, or majors that if somebody um, was involved with, they were not somebody that I was going to date. And the two professions were, and I was at a Christian college, mind you, I was at Wheaton. The first one was, if you were going to be a pastor, um, I'm sorry, I was not interested in dating you. And so ministry majors, I was like, mm, no. 
The second one was criminal justice, law enforcement, or anything like that. No. Now, for those of you who know Sean and I, you get the irony in all of this. If you don't, by the end of this story, you'll understand the irony um, in all of that. And so, Sean and I started dating. We were both in Army ROTC. Check, check, no law enforcement, no pastoring. We're going to be in the Army together. We're going to serve a career. And then we'll just see what God has for us after that. Well, we were um, in the military a few years. We were visiting my family in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We went back to Fort Riley where we were stationed. And somewhere on the ride home or shortly after, Sean says, Hey, I was doing some exploring um, about some, what some options might look like if we would want to get out of the military. And I wanted you to know that there are a lot of departments in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that are hiring um, for their police force. And I said to him, oh, that's nice. Would you like to stay married? <laughs> now, I don't say that lightly. I mean, I'm not proud of that. But fear gripped my throat and um, had, it just paralyzed me. And, and so it's so crazy when I think back on it because I think, man, Fear is, is nuts. Fear diminishes us. It clouds our thinking. It's a ruthless taskmaster. It makes us confused. And so where is the logic in this scenario? This man, who I love and adore, tells me that he's looking into law enforcement. And my response is, out of fear, I would rather leave you and not be married to you anymore than go through the possibility of you dying in the line of duty and me losing you, like, right? I mean, it's not logical. But you know, if you've dealt with worry and fear, that it often isn't. And you can't just logically walk yourself through a journey to get to the other side of it. And so Sean was gracious and said, oh, well, I'd like to stay married, so that's the end of that conversation. And, and it literally was, like we just didn't really revisit it. Except God was working on me. So a few years later, we left the military. Um, we went to um, Pennsylvania. Sean went into Christian camping, which I was like, okay, that's a half step into ministry, but at least he's not going to be a pastor. So that was acceptable. We were there about two weeks, and I was down in Texas with Joshua. We had become parents um, just shortly before that. And Sean called me on the phone, and he said, hey, guess what? I said, what? And he said, you'll never guess. I said, yeah, you're right. I won't. What's going on? Like, I could tell there was like a big moment coming. And he said, the Pennsylvania State Police is hiring. And I'm thinking, what in the heck does that have to do with us? Because I knew. I had researched. The Pennsylvania State Police had not hired anyone in 10 years. They were in a hiring freeze, you know, all these things going on. And so I'm thinking, how is this possible? And I knew in that moment that God was saying, Beth, I'm giving you a do-over. You've got to do this differently. And so, again, same sick feeling. feeling. I thought I was going to throw up. I just, fear was like here. And I'm like, okay, well, <clears throat> I'll have to pray about that. <laughs> and that was about it. Um, he's like, can I go pick up an application? I'm like, Sure, thinking, you know, this is a long process. I'll have plenty of time to work him out of this idea of being the thing God has for us. But what happened was I hung up the phone, I talked to the Lord, and I just, I, it, it, prayer just started. 
because I knew that I could not continue to live in this paralyzing grip of fear. Sometimes I think we make prayer really difficult. We think somebody else has to pray for me. I don't know the words. I don't know what to say. And here's what I want to say about prayer. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. It is where you get to talk to God about whatever you want to talk to him about, and he gets to talk to you, and you get to listen and receive, and it is back and forth and back and forth. It is your lifeline. It is your antidote to fear. And so God really began to speak to me, and he said, okay, here's the deal. I want, you to, I want you to unpack what it is that you're afraid of. And I want to journey with you through that, and I want you to understand that I'm there at the end of it. And so I did that. It was an intense grieving process. He literally took me through this whole journey of like, what it, you got the phone call. Sean was killed in the line of duty. What does that feel like? Beth, I'm still here. Beth, I've got you. Because what I realized what had happened to me is that when we had our our first child, I began to develop a real um, dependency on Sean. I'd been a really independent person, but becoming a mom really brought up inadequacies for me and value issues and can I really do this and wanting to make sure I was the right mother. And and really, um, I started really making Sean my God and I started to have a relationship with God through my husband. And so everything was oriented on him, and I was way too dependent on him. And so, of course, losing him would be the worst thing that I could possibly imagine. But God wanted to set me free from that. God wanted me to understand that I was his daughter, and that he was enough for me, and that my life with Sean is a bonus. It, like, it like adds to what, to what I get to be a part of in life, but I don't have to have it. I only have to have him. And it was that journey that really allowed me to understand that, you know what? God could use me in ministry. Because prior to that, anything that I had done in ministry was really as an extension of my husband. And this whole process, God was like pulling me out from that and going, no, you are going to be a co-laborer in the gospel. And I'm going to use you as part of what Sean is doing, but, but in, in your own arenas. I would not be standing before you today if 20 years ago, God had not started to deal with me on some of that stuff. Fear diminishes, and God wants to free us from that for the wide open spaces that he wants his church to roam in, to inhabit, to bring him into. So my worry was, what if something happened to Sean? My fear was that I would not be enough for these two boys because we didn't have just one son by the time he went to the academy. We actually had two. My truth was, if something happened to Sean and he was killed in the line of duty, God had either orchestrated or allowed it, and he is a good, good father who loves me and sees me and is always with me, and I could go on because of him. My friends, some of you need to know this truth and let it sink into your hearts. He loves you. He sees you. He's got you. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean that there won't be tragedy or pain or sorrow or loss. But it does mean that you're not alone in it.
2 Timothy 1.7 reminds us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love and power and self-discipline. God's plan for us is to have a posture of courage. My joy became that my confidence in my relationship with the God of the universe, who was my savior and friend, would set me into new spaces and places to serve him. My peace is found only in knowing the God of peace, knowing whose I am and who I am in him. What if we didn't worry? I think that if we as Christ followers could make this one shift, it would be powerful. It would be powerful here in the Quad Cities if we were people who didn't worry. Because the world is racked with worry right now. There is a lot of stuff going on that causes people to be afraid and to be worried and to be concerned and confused. But if we as the body of Christ could really model that our hope isn't in this world, our hope is in something greater, I think that people would be so attracted to that message, we would have to have 15 services on a weekend just to get together. I know that for me as a spouse in law enforcement, my friends who, who looked in at that life or other spouses who were consumed with worry, the assumption was that I was, every time he was on a shift, how can you sleep? Aren't you by your phone? A lot of my friends had scanners and they would listen to the whole shift the whole time that their, that their spouse was out. And what happened was I got to share, hey, it's not because of me, because on my own I would be worried, but let me tell you about what God did for me. If we could do that with people, there would be open doors everywhere for us to share the power of the message of the gospel. All right, so I'm going to put this to the test right now. I want us to put on our lenses as citizens of heaven, and I'm going to show you some images of things, hard things that we're processing in our world today. And some of them, are for, you, for many of you, might cause you a feeling of worry or fear, even in interacting with that message. It might cause you anxiety or confusion. And I'm doing that because I want us to understand that it is so easy for us to react to what's happening around us as though this is all there is from an earthly perspective. And so I really want to challenge us. Put on your citizens of heaven lenses and let's look at this first image. As a citizen of heaven, as the body of Christ, when we look at this reality that these are the choices for Syrian children right now. This is three-year-old Aylin who washed up on the shores of Turkey. This is five-year-old Omran. This just recently happened in a bombing in Aleppo. There are more than 65 million refugees in the world today. This is the most number of refugees in documented history. And so some of us have a reaction of fear. Well, those are Muslim children. And all that, that goes with that in our, in our story that we've written about that. And some of us have a reaction of, that doesn't have anything to do with me. And I want to challenge us as a church and say, what would it look like for the refugee to find refuge? For us to be a people who could respond with a posture of love and not rejection. Next image. This is loaded. I know that. 
our heritage family is primarily an Anglo congregation. George Barner recently released a bunch of research where in his findings, he recorded that white evangelicals are the, the group most likely to think that we don't have a problem with racism in America. And so I think we have to ask ourselves if this does not cause a, an awareness and an understanding for us that, that race is an issue and a problem in America. And instead, there's a, there's a response of fear or condemnation. I think we have to ask ourselves, how are we bringing the peace to that situation? How are we bringing the peace into those spaces? Next image. <clears throat> These are the five officers from the Dallas Police Department who were murdered. In contrast to the picture before, and yet also tied to it. Because here's what's happened. Our law enforcement community is in a hopeless situation of having to work within a system that was set up at a time when our country functioned in a much more racist way. Many of our systems, education, our justice system, they were founded and set up in a time when, when black people were looked at as being two-thirds of a person. We cannot forget that that is part of our history. And our law enforcement is the thin blue line that stands in the front of that and is often put in a, in a really tough situation there. And so I, I look at these and I go, okay, what is the what if hope, hopeful posture in this? So what if we as the church, and I'm not even now talking about like us as a big group, I'm talking about where you, where you're at, what would it look like for you to start to get to know a person in a real way who wasn't the same race as you? And start to have a conversation about how it feels to be fill in the blank in America. And, and, just, and just start to try to understand that. And what would it look like for you to have a conversation with someone who's in law enforcement, to commit to pray for them, to understand the job that they have in front of them, and to work towards being part of the solution? What if the church was the place where radical unity was being modeled? Next picture. I want to tick all the boxes and make as many people mad as I possibly can. So yes, here we go. This is what I have to say about this picture. I am grateful to these two individuals for exposing to the American church where we have been guilty of putting our hope and our confidence in our government and in a political party like they are going to fix anything for us in the world that we live in. Our hope is not in who is the next president of the United States. Our hope is in the reality that Jesus is coming back. Our time is short and we all get to be ministers of the gospel and share the hope that we have within us. Amen. Now I've got to get that picture down. So let's go back into Philippians 4. All right. So Paul is going to close out his 
letter, and he's going to give us some instruction and some encouragement, and this is what he says to us. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What does it mean to think about these things? So the word means like meditate, contemplate, but this was what I really loved and thought captured the essence of it. Account for. So I go back to the images that we just looked at. And so what I'm doing is I'm going in light of what Paul just wrote here, how do I account for? Where is truth? Where is justice? Where is the beauty? Where is the honor? Where is what is commendable? Where is what is worthy of praise? And if it's absent, I believe it's often because the people of God haven't showed up in that space. Because if we're thinking about those things and accounting for them and we're practicing those things, guess what the rest of that is? Do these things. We get to do those things in all the spaces that we inhabit. Charles Spurgeon talks about it this way. This is from a sermon he preached in 1887, and it still rings true today. If there is any really good movement in the world, help it, you Christian people. If it is not purely and absolutely religious, yet if it tends to the benefit of your fellow men, if it promotes honesty and justice and purity, take care that you are on that side and do all you can to help it forward. Doing all we can to help it forward. I think that looks like when we, when we usher in shalom. I think every message I've preached here, I've talked about it. I'll keep talking about it. Shalom is that word um, that means when the kingdom of God is happening. You know, the kingdom of God is a coming reality, but it's also in the here and now. And shalom is human flourishing. And so when people begin to experience Right relationship with God, right relationship with themselves, right relationship with other people, and they live in reconciliation. That community begins to look like it's flourishing because it's experiencing reconciliation. And then the community begins to impact the system. And that's that concept of shalom that we, that we get to bring, that we get to model, that we get to be a part of. How many of you are watching the Olympics? All right, yeah. The Costins love the Olympics. We've definitely OD'd on it. One of the things that's amazing to me about the Olympics is how long these athletes train for whatever their event is. Some of them have an event that's literally 10 seconds. If you're Usain Bolt, it's less than 10 seconds. Let's be clear. And yet there's years, there's days, months, years, um, sometimes a lifetime of preparation that goes into that one moment. They have to practice. They have to be disciplined. They have to want it. They have to be committed. Paul uses that imagery a lot um, in his letters about we're running a race. And here's the thing. My friends, we are not called to be bystanders. We are called to be racers. Racers who actually run well who are running with excellence. And so we can't just show up and expect to be amazing and run this fabulous race, right? We've got to train our minds. We've got to center our souls on him. We ha- we've got to practice. And then not just practice, but then actually take that out. 
into the spaces that God's called us to. We experience peace when we practice a posture of dependence. We cannot do this on our own. It is too hard. And so if you follow Christ, I want to assure you that you are not doing this on your own. When you prayed a prayer of salvation, a deposit of the Holy Spirit was placed within you. I think part of the challenge is the Holy Spirit is within us, but we don't still our hearts and our minds to actually hear the Spirit. And we don't recognize when the Spirit is asking us to do something or telling us not to do something. So we've got to practice that. What does it look like for me to hear the voice of the Spirit? If you have never made that decision and you, you don't have a relationship with Christ, I ask you, beg you, that today would be the day. There's a prayer on the back of your sermon note guide that you can pray. And when that happens, that same Holy Spirit that we were talking about enters into your life and into your heart to transform you. If you want to do that, you aren't sure how to do that, you can meet us in the back. We would love to talk to you about that and help you take your next steps in your journey. So what? This is, this is purposely left blank. Because here's what I want us to do. I want us to practice in this moment listening to what the Spirit has been telling you and speaking to you in our time together. I don't know what it is for you. Is there a worry that you need to ask why about to understand the fear that's connected to it? Is there a fear that God actually wants to take you through so that you can experience him in a new way at the end of that fear? Is there something that you know you need to train your mind in? Your mind in? Is there gratitude that you need to work on, that you need to cultivate an attitude of gratitude so that, so that there's no room in your heart for worry? I don't know what it is, but I believe that God, by the power of the Spirit, has spoken to each one of us. And so I'm going to give us just a short period of time. It's going to feel like an eternity. I promise you it isn't. But I want you to just really um, sit with the Spirit, and I want you to write down something that you know that God wants to work with you on over the next few weeks. So go ahead, and we'll just listen to the Spirit. It's hard. It's hard to sit in quiet sometime. it's sometimes. I think it's because we're so busy and we just don't take time to really listen. Listen to what God's trying to tell us. Jesus tells us in these words, John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. We are called into courage. 
We are called to be brave for the sake of the gospel. My prayer for you is that God will set you free from any fear that's holding you back from living into that. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are sovereign God of the universe. You hold all our days in your hands and we surrender to you anew. Father, give us courage where we need it. Spirit, discipline us where we need it. Help us to be committed to train our minds to be strong, to be excellent racers for you and for you alone. God, everything that we do, we want to point to you so that the gospel can be advanced. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We love you, Father. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.